of, the, of 11 pastors to come and, and pray with him. And each of them prayed and went through that. And right at the end, Smith Wigglesworth started praying. And if I just come to the report that was of it, Wigglesworth rose to seek the Lord and the presence of God began to fill the room. Soon the glory of God became terrible. The light became too bright, the heat too intense. The other men couldn't take it any longer. Every one of them left the room. Only Wigglesworth could continue in the midst of it all. There's one minister that didn't make it that day. And he said, right, I'll be there at the next one. And whatever happens, I won't be leaving. The scene repeated itself. Wigglesworth began to pray. The holy presence of God filled the room. And the glory became unbearable. Everyone left except this one guy. And he, wasn't, he was going to stay, but he couldn't. He, in the end, got up and left. Um, the determined minister couldn't stand the intensity. What do you think when you hear a story like that? What did they experience? It was fearsome. It was fearful. And yet, it was wonderful. Would you have liked to have been there? You would have? Would you have stayed? <laughs> Should we contrast that with a story from Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 3? Jesus got into the boat belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. And sitting down, he taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night without catching anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Go away from me, Lord, he said, for I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Isn't that a really interesting response? I mean, it wasn't the first miracle that Peter had seen at all. Did he feel like that because the miracle was for him, that previously he'd just been an observer, this time he was the recipient? Clearly he was overwhelmed. Go away, I can't hack this. I'm undeserving of your goodness. But he also just didn't say that. He fell to his knees, an act of submission, humility, and reverence. And that is a lot of what the fear of the Lord is about. Jesus' response to him was, well, don't be frightened. And then he called Peter to come and be a fisher of men. Come and walk and work with me. Which is actually a little bit like our story of faith, isn't it? We see God's act of generosity towards us. We come aware of our condition before him. We respond and God says, come and walk and work with me. Our God is fearsome. These are just a, that's just one story from the Bible, but there's many others. The children of, of Israel wouldn't come near the mountain. They were petrified. Moses' face shone so brightly, he kept it covered. Isaiah's amazing time in God in, in Isaiah 6. Daniel, the terror in, 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 we read in Daniel 8. And of course, uh, John on Patmos, when he encountered the Lord in the Revelation. I think those, these things and others in it are really worth studying and meditating on. 
because our God is a fearsome God. So what is fear? Well, a dictionary definition is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Secondly, it actually has there a profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. I think it's quite amazing, actually, that God has got in the definition of fear something that refers to him. So if you look at that in the two examples, probably for Peter and for the ministers, it probably was um, unpleasant and uncomfortable a little. For Smith, Wigglesworth, it would have been great. Can we consider God as really dangerous? Is he? Is he dangerous? Well, if you look at, um, C.S. Lewis looked at it in the Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and suggested it this way, and it's when Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a great lion. And Susan's surprised, because she assumed that Aslan would be a man. So she then tells Mr. Beaver, I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And she asks Beaver, is Aslan is safe? To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king. Yeah. So what is the definition of the fear of God? Well, I think or one I've, I've found and really like is the indefinable mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy, and awe, which fills our hearts when we realize who God is and what he's done for us. And often fear and awe are mixed together as well, and awe is defined as an emotion in which dread, there it is again, veneration and wonder are variously mingled, submissive and admiring fear inspired by authority, or a fearful reverence inspired by deity. So what can we say about the fear of the Lord? It's a wonderful thing, but it isn't actually something that we're born with. It is revealed to us all in some way. And for most of us it comes um, when we come to faith for the first time. You know, when we realize our state, our sinful state before a righteous God, we get a glimpse of his wonderful mercy, his amazing unconditional love. We get to understand that we're made for a fulfilling life with purpose, and we have the promise of eternal life. And we realize we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And I don't know, maybe when you first encountered God, you might have felt a little bit like Peter. Go away, I'm unworthy. But the truth is, of course, that we're all utterly unworthy, and that's what he came for. He came because of our unworthiness. So we signed on and committed ourselves to walking in, the, in his ways as we realized his greatness, power, holiness, purity, integrity, spotlessness, wisdom, creativity, his wonder in creation as seen and little Luke and Theo and all of those, and the other wonderful things that's gone. And we realize that everything belongs to him. Any resources we have, they've all come from him. I remember the first time I realized that Jeanette wasn't my wife. Well, she is my wife. But she was God's resource given to me, or she was given to me as a helpmate, given to me by God for this life. And at the end of it, He's going to ask me how I treated the person he selected for me. It's a sobering thing. We also held God in awe for his mercy and his generosity. 
And we try to fathom what it cost them to come here on earth and die an incredibly protracted and cruel assault by the very things he had created. We held him in awe for this amazing love that was unconditional. And we committed ourselves to lives of obedience, allowing him to change us into the character of his perfect son. This means we committed ourselves to the journey of the fear of the Lord, to be God-fearing people living a God-fearing life. God-fearing people isn't a term you hear much these days, is it? Um, sort of if someone's called a God-fearing man, he perhaps is considered to be a little bit fundamentalist or you know, uh, serious about it all, but that's not the life of God at all. We committed ourselves to lives of respect, awe, and submission to God. Secondly, the fear of God is a journey. It's a way of life. So what does that mean? Well, if someone is a person who fear God, fears God, he or she will have a holy reverence and awe before the glorious majesty of God and before his almighty holiness. They will have a deep humility that's actually a little bit, or the person will have a deep humility that's a little bit afraid of themselves and combines deep confidence in God with an entire distrust for ourselves. And I'll come back to that a little bit later on. Um, the person will have a consciousness of their weakness and a dislike for doing anything that will be contrary to the will of God and, and the honour of him. A person in that, because he fears God, he will depend on God for his protection as he goes. He will be cautious, he'll be vigilant, um, and will be seeking the right path to watch against the enemy, guard against looseness and hastiness and speech or resolve or in his conduct. And that person will have a holy zeal in watching and striving and have a, a fear of displeasing the Lord. Sounds like all of us, doesn't it, eh? That's the, that's the journey that we're on, the journey of the fear of the Lord. It is a serious business, um, be, but we're inspired by amazing God. Let's just look at a couple of scriptures that Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12. Continue to work out, out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act uh, in order to fulfill his good purpose. And he says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, seeing we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence to God. And in Acts 31, 9.31, he says, And then the, Lord, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, increased in numbers. And you can see in those scriptures that um, the implication that is a, it is a journey, it's something we have to work at. In fact, that Acts um, reference there, the time of peace refers to, it was a time of peace just after the biggest enemy of Christianity had just been converted. The church enjoyed peace. Okay, to the other side, there are many truths or many verses that speak of the benefits of pursuing, pursuing the fear of God. And a lot of them are in the book of Proverbs. Just want to look at a couple. Proverbs 2, 1 to 8. I, I love this one. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver... Search for it as for treasure, the journey. 
Then you will understand, so if, 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 then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just. Isn't that awesome? I think that's really awesome. What a great God. Proverbs 26 says, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. Proverbs 16.6, Through love and faithfulness sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord evil is avoided. In Psalm 31.19 I love, How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. So the fear of the God, of the Lord, is a healthy fear. It invokes his promises. It brings the fruit of the Spirit. And we're serving the God who never changes. Are there any other fears that we should have? Well, I'd like to suggest that there's one. And the fear is that we should fear ourselves. We should fear ourselves. Why do I say that? Well... As I'm painfully aware, I have a fallen nature and an incessant and subtle demands of myself on my life. George Harrison once wrote a song called I, Me, Mine. I, Me, Mine. And it goes like this. All through the day, all I hear, hear all through the day, I, Me, Mine, I, Me, Mine, I, Me, Mine. All I can hear, I, Me, Mine, I, Me, Mine. Flowing more, um, yeah, and then you forget the words. Flowing more freely than wine, I, Me, Mine. Think of ourselves. We know what we're like, yeah. There's the lure to worldliness, temptation, and ease. There's the other temptation of the indulgence or to, to indulge in sin while saying to ourselves, ah, just this once, God will forgive me in some sort of blasé way. God won't mind, it's okay. But as we know, there really is no place for taking God for granted. Another reason is our discipline levels. Have you heard the saying, uncaptured time flows towards my weakness? When we're loose, you know, if you talk to Jeanette about what do I do when I have uncaptured time, I tend to start looking at um, oh, the great runners that I uh, followed in the 70s and 80s, Sebastian Coe and John Walker and Peter Snell and rerun all those. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really just a waste of time And when I'm at a loose end, but... It's what I do, yeah. But be also aware of the saying, which I understand came from the 12th century, that idle hands are the devil's, uh, the devil's tools. But one of the reasons for, for mentioning that also is that how often it is when people have lapsed into something like porn, and when they talk about it, they say, ah, I was bored, and I fell into it. And the last reason we need to distrust ourselves is we have an incredible ability to talk our minds into justifying what our heart desires. We are geniuses at finding reasons to do something we actually know is wrong. So the Bible says, you know, we're advised to have no confidence in the flesh, and I think it's good advice, yeah. Um, I read about Charles Spurgeon um, sermon in the course of this, in which he talked about um, the devil has actually shifted the wide road over and close to the narrow road so that people actually walk in, in the two of them a bit at times, yeah. But in talking about this, I really want to make a distinction between indulgent sins and an area in your life that you currently don't have victory in. 
And I know there are a lot of people out there who's, for whom the struggle is significant, um, self-condemning even, it causes despair and self-doubt and causes you at times even to question your salvation. Um, you know, I've still got these fears, I shouldn't have them, it's not right to have them. And I come across uh, a guy who said, look, um, I've been preaching to others for over 15 years, but recently I fell into Satan's trap. I've been crippled spiritually, and as much as I hate my besetting sin, I can't seem to get free of this bondage. Frankly, I wonder how long God will put up with me before I'm exposed. And... um, I find that lots of Christians actually have that. They have, they've got a secret life and they really fear that it's going to be exposed. That God actually is going to punish them by, by revealing it out there and um, as a punishment for your disobedience and failure and those things. Um, I just want to say that you know, the fear of God as a taskmaster is a really unhealthy fear. Um, you know, too often in our fallenness, when we mess up, we start defaulting into thinking that we're on a performance monitoring with God and, and we reduce the relationship rather than being a glorious fear to a good-bad score sheet. That, and when we do that, sooner or later, he becomes a hard taskmaster that we can never please. Have you battled with that? I have. Particularly in my early years, I was uh, in trying to please God and failing and all that. I uh, yeah, it used to... Just, I'd be in despair at times. Can you ever love me, Lord? Um, what I'm like. And, you know, Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I don't know, that stuff that so easily entangles just seems to be right there all the time. You know, Satan's got you on a, on a string sort of a thing. The lure comes and you fall for it. You can't blame Satan for it, of course. It's, it's how we respond to those things. But the wonderful news is, of course, that the God that we serve is gracious and forgiving. Fear of the Lord's a great thing. I'm sorry if it's come across a little bit serious. God's really good. This is, it's a mighty thing. And, he, and in Psalm 103, he says, it says about God, he's merciful. He's tender towards those who don't deserve it, slow to get angry, full of kindness and love. He never bears a grudge nor remains angry forever. He hasn't punished us according as we deserve for all our sins, and his mercy towards those who fear and honor him is as great as the height as the heavens are above the earth. He's removed our sins as far away as the east from the west, and he's like a father to us, tender and sympathetic to those who reverence him. For he knows we are but dust, and that our days are few and brief, like flowers blown by the wind and gone forever." What wonderful, reassuring words from our God, aren't they? He's a wonderful God. He always calls us back to us, and he calls us on, line in the sand, let's get going. So what are some of the things we can do to maintain the fear of God? And I've got just five suggestions. And one was one I mentioned before, was just to meditate on the scriptures when God invaded earth, when he came and, uh, and spiritual, or spiritual beings came. Um, I actually read them a lot because I try to imagine what it was like for them there. You know, what was it that terrified Daniel so much? You know, in the sense that he was, he was such a faithful man of God and it said so often in there, you, know, you have found favor with God. You know, and, um, um, and, and it just really causes me to get a sense of, of the magnitude of God and his awesomeness and his sovereignty and his, and his absolute rulership over everything. You know, he's, in, he's in control. 
Secondly, I'd like to recommend Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. Um, He didn't have a direct encounter with God, but I just love his reverence for God and his prayers. And I love his zeal for Jerusalem and his determination to rebuild the the wall of the city of God in the face of amazing and concerted opposition and difficulties, um, and his ability to, mobi- to motivate and mobilize the, pe- the workers. Um, and I just really so admire his uncompromising upholding of the standards of God when faced with the disobedience of the Jewish people and stuff. Yeah. Thirdly, can I encourage you to, to resolve to have a view of God that isn't swayed by our circumstances and is an anchor to lead on whenever, no matter what's going on. You know, there, there are several, you know, God is always good. God is good. All things work together for good. Nothing separates me from his love at all. He's a wonderful God. Um, and I was talking to someone recently who'd said they'd adjusted how they saw God, and that they, whenever they thought of God the Father now, they saw him as the good and perfect Father who did everything for the benefit of his child which is us. And another person I spoke to said, well, every time I worship God, I just imagine, um, I close my eyes and imagine him hugging me deeply when I worship. Yeah. Um, can also encourage you to keep a record um, of your wins in God, um, such as your time when you were just flooded by the goodness of God, it just overflowed in you, and your you know, awesome worship times that you had and just your significant events. Um, I've got a file of success at the home, and I know that some of you journal. Um, God always encouraged his people. He said, set up a stone altar so that when people can ask about that, you can tell them the story, or tell and retell the stories to your children so they can remember the goodness of God and what he's done for you. Um, some years ago, I had a brush with cancer, and the prognosis was that one of my kidneys was, was going to have to come out, and there was an unidentified mass in my bowel. And, uh, and on the day for the examination day, a number of people in the church came around and prayed for me. And um, after the examination, there was actually no mass in my bowel at all. And uh, the cyst on my kidney was utterly benign. God is mighty. He's a good God, yeah. Also, a, a few, a, just a couple of years back, I took my first funeral. And... Um, and unfortunately, it was for a person who actually had taken their own life. And so I, I was really sweating. And I got some great help from others, particularly from Paul Jackson and Bruce Billington. And I can say that the funeral actually went off really well. And God, God really came through. And I was really overwhelmed with gratitude um, for his assistance in going there. And as like I say, you know, re- recalling our stories, our encouragement to ourselves and to others, I mean, you know, Trevor, just the other day, when he was talking, he said, you know, um, I was a chronic asthmatic until I was prayed for. I've never had it since. God is, you know, the stories that God does, they just lift us from where we are and excite us and take us forward. Yeah. Yeah. And in doing all of these things, you're continuing and walking in your journey of the fear of the Lord. So, in closing, what is the fear of the Lord? It's that mixture of reverence, fear, pleasure, joy and awe which fills our hearts when we remember again who he is and what he's done. And it's a good thing. It's a journey, but it's important for us to have it as the spearhead of our lives. It'll guide us, it'll protect us, it'll satisfy us, and it'll enable us to walk to fulfill the calling that our great God has for us. Lastly, um, Psalm 8611 is a prayer 
I pray as a verse I pray constantly. It says, "Teach me your ways, O Lord, and I'll walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name." Let us pray. Father, I just I thank you that you're a fearsome God who is totally in control. From your glory, which Smith Wigglesworth enjoyed and displayed, to what you've done in our lives, we say, Lord, you are awesome. True life is found only in you, Lord. And I, Lord, I pray you would magnify yourself in us, your people again. I ask you to free us. We were bound and captive. Break our bondages, Lord. Help and cause us to come reverently and humbly before you. So, Lord, when people look into our eyes, they see life and hope and the expectation that we have because our lives are dedicated to you. I ask you, Lord, to give us undivided hearts. Lord, we fear you because you are worthy of fear in every aspect of who you are. Amen.